0: Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
1: This podcast is gold. Basketball gold. You're tuned into the best Cleveland Cavaliers podcast in all the land. Basketball gold. Hosted by Mike Fratello and Jeff Phelps. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Basketball Gold with Fratello and Phelps. He is Mike Fratello, former NBA head coach, Cleveland Cavaliers, Atlanta Hawks, Memphis Grizzlies, not in that order. I'm Jeff Phelps, Cleveland-based sports broadcaster. Merry Christmas to you, sir. If, if anybody's not looking at video of us, I can see you. You're just decked out. You're festive.
0: This is called festive garb. And, you know, I if I want to be cool... And then I can pull my hoodie up.
1: Yeah, you get a little festive hoodie. Now
0: I'm really, now I'm really in the spirit right now. That's a good look on you. Didn't Santa have a hood on his outfit?
1: No, I don't believe so. Oh, just, just a little hat that he wore on top. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, yeah. yeah so well. happy just, holidays to everybody. Yeah, uh, and we hope everybody has a great holiday season. I would think, Mike, the Cleveland Cavaliers. How's that for a smooth transition? Oh, look at there. You have help. That's One nice. of my little helpers. One of my helpers came you down. You have elves. That's fabulous. How's that? This is worth just making this complete video. If only people could see. Um, maybe they can. At the very, at the very least, that's a promotional shot right there. I love that. Uh, well, Cleveland nobody Cavaliers. Has, yeah, nobody yeah. has production like we do on our podcast. Oh, Mike, are you kidding? That's what we're known for. Great production. <laughs> Uh, Cavaliers are in a homestand. They're playing really well. Third place in the East. They're two games out of first place. And if, you know, people might be thinking, all right, they're going to drop a little. They're not going to, well, they're not dropping. If anything, it's a little tighter than it's been. And it feels a little bit more so at 21 and 11, six game homestand. Mike is off to a great start. They've won three straight, the first three games of the homestand. Take it back to the road trip, a win over Dallas. So that's four straight wins. What's impressed you most here about this stretch at home where the Cavaliers right now, my best home record of the NBA? To me, Jeff, it's the fact that on the nights that they
0: haven't played their best basketball, and I'm going to remove this just a little bit so I have freedom <laughs> of hearing and <laughs> So you don't
1: choke on your costume?
0: <laughs> um, on the nights that they didn't have their best basketball going, yeah, they still found a way to win. And then in their last game, they played maybe the best game of the season where everything cleanses the floor. Uh, going into that last game, they were number two in the NBA in point differential. And as you know, point differential is what you score versus what you give up. And what the spread is between that. Are you the best in the league? Well, they weren't best, but they were second best in the NBA Going in with point differential. So at the end of that, after the games that pursued before uh, the game against Milwaukee, uh, this team has done an outstanding job of taking care of business at the defensive end. And from day one, their head coach has preached defense will carry us. Defense is the staple of this team. We're going to have nights where the three point shot doesn't work. We're going to have nights where we don't make a lot of shots from the in-between areas, but every night we can come and play with effort and energy and get contributions from not only the starters, but the bench. And and while we're talking about the bench, Jeff, let's mention that a year ago, when Coach wound up starting the big lineup and the NBA was like, wow, yeah, Cleveland starting all those seven footers across the front line, at the same time, that he was doing that. Remember that he was only playing eight people per game. He had really cut back his rotations. Guys number nine and 10 were used maybe at the end of the game in the last two minutes. And essentially, that's what he went back to in their last game against Utah. He played eight guys for the majority majority of the minutes. At the end of the third quarter, holding a 20-something point lead, he put Neto in the game and let Neto play the entire fourth quarter. So if you look at a, a box score, a stat sheet, you see, oh, Neto, 12 minutes. So he was using nine men. No, he used eight men to put Neto in and left him in for the fourth quarter. So interesting, because the coaches figured out, I know who can win for us. These eight players can win for us. And until you show me more. I may not go deeper than eight players.
1: Mike, if you're an NBA fan, I would think, and a Cavs fan, you're loving the standings right now. But we're only 32 games in. I look at the standings from the beginning of the season in in any sport. I just find it entertaining. I like to kind of follow where teams are and what they're doing. But I've had too many people tell me over the years, you're looking at the standings way too soon. It doesn't matter. You've been on the business end of it with coaching and watching your players and trying to get their minds right. When do you start looking at standings, Mike, if you're a player, if you're a coach, and when does it matter? Or should you be watching from the beginning of the season? I think it varies with the teams. I think
0: certain coaches from day one prioritize the fact that we're following the standings because the game we lose at game number 10 in the season means just as much as the one that we lose at game 70. In the season, if we miss the playoffs by one game, which game do you want to pick out? Right. It was the critical game in, in the uh, the losses that built up. So some teams in their locker rooms keep the daily standings. Someone's in charge of the win column, loss column, and moving the names of the teams around so that players, when they come into the locker room, they look up at the wall. They see, oh, like I don't really think a lot of the NBA players every night go to bed only after they watch who won every game that night before. But when they come into the locker room the next day for practice or for preparation for their game, they look up at the walls, they're getting dressed and go, oh, so-and-so got beat last night. Oh, so-and-so won again last night. That's six in a row for them. And it kind of keeps you abreast of what's going on. And now I would think that Those who have it posted in the locker room have the first six teams locked in, then a line, then another line showing play in, playoffs, home court advantage, all of that from day, sometimes from day one. And I'm sure there are other coaches that early in the season, they might not bring it up and that at a certain point for them, it becomes important enough that they say, okay, from Mm -hmm. now on, We watch what's going on every day because we're coming down the back stretch and we're coming around the last turn heading home for the playoffs. So I would think it would differ with every team and where the coach places the significance of the standings
1: at that particular time of the year. Mike, did you ever notice with your teams that they played nervous, they played looser if they knew, if they didn't know, if you guys stressed it, if you didn't stress it? I'm just wondering from a mental standpoint if that had any impact on guys. I, I'm sure late in the season, you know, when they know all right, we've got to get a win because we know where we are. But I'm wondering at this time of the year if, if it had any impact on any of your guys. Jeff, we always use short-term goals
0: to end up equaling the long-term goals that we wanted. And what I mean by short-term goals, we broke the season down to sets of five or four games normally. At home, if it was going to be five games, we want to win how many out of every five games at home? There are, and think about it, there are eight sets of five games at home with one game left over. So if you say we want to win three out of every five games at home, well, if you do that, that's 24 wins with one game left over to either win or lose. And at the same time, go on the road where you have 41 games. And what do you want to win on the road? Two out of four? Well, there are 10 sets of four games on the road. So if you win two out of four, that's 20 wins. Well, 24 wins with one left over, 20 wins with one left over. You've got 44 wins in the bank with two games left over. Is that enough to get you in the playoffs? So you vary that each year. And I always felt that it was very important that you were realistic in what Mm. the goals were that you set. You can't set goals like we want to win five out of five at home. Well, you don't do that in the NBA. You don't win (laughs) every game at home in the NBA. So if you want guys to really pay attention, it has a meaning to it, you put something up there that makes sense to them, that they can look at and grasp. If you're a team that won 16 games last year, you're not going to put three out of five or four out of five up there on your home set of games. You're going to be realistic. Maybe two games is realistic. Two out of a set of eight, there's 16 wins. Go on the road, you win one out of four at home. There's 10 sets there. There's another 10. Now you're at 26 to 30 wins somewhere in there. That's a step up from winning 16 a year ago. Being realistic is important or the players don't believe. They don't buy in at that point.
1: I like the way you broke that down, too, Mike, because I think it would be real easy to say, all right, well, we want to win 52 games. That's a big picture thing. And I I would think that's tough to get guys motivated when you're thinking 52. But when you break it down to, all right, let's let's win two out of four on the road here. Let's win four out of five in this homestand. I, I would think that'd be a great way to just keep keep the energy up, keep the interest up and, you know, keep the effort. Flowing continuously. That's a great idea. You write it on the board every night. If you're at
0: home, you write the set of five home games that you're in. And when you do game number one, win or loss. Game number two, win or loss. Now you're in game number three and you're at two wins out of the five. You're trying to get game number three. So you have three out of the five with two to go. And when you go on the road, you forget about the home games. You put up the road four game road set, if that's what you're doing. And you're trying to win two out of those four games at home on the road. And remember, if you ever win three out of four on the road, you're plus one because you won one more than you were trying to win on the road. And if you ever win five in a
1: row at home, you're plus one. If you're trying to win four out of five at home. It's all kind of the numbers are running together, Mike. I'm slightly confused, but I get it. Win two out of four on the road, when four out of five at home, you get a 52-win season. Perfect. Exactly.
0: And, and I did call your elementary school and ask yep. about your math skills, and they said you would probably be confused by the formula.
1: <laughs> I, I was fine until we hit trigonometry at algebra 2. I know. that was. The, oh, I man. was toast. I was absolutely toast at that point. This is Basketball Gold with Fratello and Phelps. He's Mike Fratello, former NBA head coach, NBA color analyst with the Clippers and the Cleveland Cavaliers. I'm Jeff Phelps. Mike, we're 32 games into this season, 50 to go. Where is a team supposed to be at this point of the season? And I'll go back to a guy that I always thought had a really interesting philosophy from another sport. It was Bud Grant, who was the head coach of the Minnesota Vikings. And I always remember he said i want my team and this makes sense of course for every team i want my team to be playing its best football at the end of the regular season that's what i want them to be their absolute best so he kind of took it easy in training camp and they kind of built things up and that made sense to me as long as you were able to win enough games as you're building it up so that you don't you know mess yourself up down the road because then you're out of it because you weren't quite there yet so if you're an nba team where are you supposed to be 32 games in going, going gangbusters at your absolute best? Are you still tweaking? Are you still looking for rotations? What do you think is the optimum position to be in? Well, what you said about Bud Grant in Minnesota was very accurate. And there's a lot to
0: read into that. Yes. You can say that if you're Bud Grant, knowing that you have an incredible football team with veteran guys understand the importance of winning games at the right time other teams don't have and didn't have the luxury that bud grant had and that those viking teams that he coached had because in a basketball season if you say well we want to play our best down the last third or the last quarter of the nba season last quarter of an nba season is the final 20 or 21 games that's great except In the first three quarters, you may have eliminated yourself from any hope of making the playoffs. So I think you have to win enough along the way to keep yourself in contention for whatever you think your team should be. Every team shouldn't be a 60-win team. Those only come along once every so often. Every team is not a 50-win team. But knowing what your team is and knowing what the rest of the league is about you should have an understanding of how many games you probably can win with your team. And now as you go through the first half, the first three quarters of the season, what do you want to do down the stretch? And where are you in the standings at that point? Have you lost too much ground that you can't make it up or you're right where you want to be that if you finish strong and go 16 and four down the stretch or 15 and five down the stretch, then you're going to
1: be in great shape for the playoffs and maybe have home court advantage. So how do you balance that out, Mike? You know, we talked about J.B. Bickerstaff, and he's he's really playing eight guys right now, maybe goes nine deep on a given night, and it's, it's working beautifully. You know, they're 21 and 11 as we speak. On the other hand, you want to, and other teams are doing, you know, similar types of things. On the other hand, you want to be fresh, and you want, you know, you want to have guys not be, absolutely gassed around the all-star break. So how do you, how do you balance that? Are there certain nights that you do certain different things or is there a strategy involved as you, as you're plotting out at the beginning of the season Are you just going night by night? I think you look at the schedule
0: and you see, okay, where are we now in this week of the season? Are we playing how many back-to-back games are we playing this week? How many three and four nights are we playing? Remember in the old days, I'll call it, you played four and five nights. yeah. And one of the first things you looked at when you got your schedule was how many four and five nights do we have this year? Back-to-backs were you were somewhere between 18 and 22 or 23 back-to-backs on your schedule back aways.
1: Much and more now, common. Yeah. yeah.
0: And now, you you know, the thing has been spread out and the days in between a little bit easier sometimes and you have that week off at All-Star break, which we never had before. You went away. You played a game on Thursday night, some teams, and All-Star weekend started on Friday, the next day. And then you finished on Sunday with the All-Star game. You went back to practice on Monday, and teams opened up on Tuesday again with the first game. Well, it's not that way anymore because of the week that they've negotiated in the Players Association contract. But looking at each week, Looking at the schedule, looking at the amount of travel, you got to figure out what you can get out of them, what you would expect out of them. Every once in a while, you're surprised, a good surprise. Every once in a while, you're disappointed because it didn't work out the way you thought it was going to work out.
1: Mike, let's take a look at the Cavaliers starting five and how they've done through 32 games. And we'll start with the guy who's the newcomer in Donovan Mitchell. The thing that I think is the most impressive thing about Donovan, and you know, the Cavs just played the Utah Jazz, his old team. He had an easy 23 minutes for an easy 23 points. The Cavs didn't need him to go nuts. The thing that's impressed me the most is how he's just come in and I think pretty seamlessly, pretty effortlessly, has become, you know, the 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 main guy on this team while being accepted and embraced by everybody else. I, I don't know if I, you know, it, it's tough to recall a guy going in that seamlessly into such a big role on a team that's having such success. I, I give him a lot of credit. I give the entire organization a lot of credit for that.
0: I think it comes because of communication, because of the character of the players on the team. I think Donovan handled everything beautifully when he came in from the first press conference he had the respect that he showed for his teammate, the respect he showed for the organization, the respect for what they had done a year ago. And now here he comes, he's being added to the mix. And what can he add to take this team to the next level? And he didn't try and go out there and take 35 or 40 shots a night. He tried to fit in with an all-star, very young backcourt partner who he knows is very talented and very good. But how do I fit in here? So both of them had to be willing to acquiesce to the other one. There was a play in the game against Utah where the quarter was ending and Darius had the ball in his hand. And Donovan came like running around behind him or towards going behind him where it looked like he wanted Darius to give him the ball. And Darius kind of motioned him off like, I've got it. They played out the shot clock. Three, two, one. Darius hits a jump shot. Quarter's over. And as they walked off the floor, the two players were together, Mm -hmm. Darius and Donovan. And I'm not a lip reader, but (laughs) looking at Darius and what he was saying, I thought to Donovan was, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to wave you off. I thought I had it. And Donovan's reaction was, no, no, don't worry about it. You, you had it going. You keep it going. Don't worry about that. So he was saying, there'll be plenty of times for me. You felt it. You thought you had it going. You kept it. You made the shot. That's what it's all about. So that's the camaraderie. That's the trust. That's the togetherness that you have to have to make a team
1: successful, the bonding effort
0: that they get out there.
1: With Garland, Mike, I I would think it might even be more challenging on Darius to accept a guy coming in than it was for Darius to be that guy coming in. And Darius made an all-star team last year and really took a a personal jump in his game, in his level of play, in his recognition around the league, Mike, which, as we all know, is pretty important to to guys – for the most part in this day and age. And even with all this, Darius is averaging 20.7 points a game and eight assists per game, which I think is is pretty impressive, the way that that ha- those numbers have been maintained, pretty, pretty comparable to what he did last year while bringing somebody else in and knowing that that guy is going to be a real focal part of the team, maybe taking some of that spotlight off of you. I, I think it's a big credit to him. I think, first of all, you
0: have to understand that this team gets along very, very well. The chemistry is very good, and they all seem to have a common goal. And the common goal is to coexist, coexist and get better, coexist, get better, and win a lot of basketball games. I heard on a show today, and I understand, Jeff, that radio shows have to come up with topics to talk about. And they and listen to, have, to that stuff. Yeah, no. <laughs> And they have to have people that are going to call in and have a response to the question. Sure. But the topic was whose team is this? Is it Donovan Mitchell's team, Darius Garland's team, or is it Mobley's team? And whose team will it be two years down the road? And I thought it was such an irrelevant discussion, other than the fact that the radio show had to have something to talk about during the time because the players know whose team it is. Do we have to say this team is so-and-so's team? They show you by who they throw the ball to at the end of games. They show you by who the coach calls the plays for in critical moments. Is Mobley, is this Mobley's team? Of course not. He's not ready for it to be his team yet. Could it be his team? Yeah. But maybe. if you ask Mobley, and if he was totally honest, which I think he would be, he would say, no, I'm I'm just here to do my part, to fill in where I have to fill and rebound, they blocking shots, playing defense, getting a couple buckets here and there, get maybe 15, 17 points a game. I would think that if you polled the team, and if they were totally honest, they would say, this is Donovan Mitchell's team right now. That doesn't mean that Darius isn't going to have big games, huge games where he's the reason why they won because Donovan had a bad night. But right now, Donovan Mitchell is the most experienced proven guy on this team who on this team has had 50 points in a playoff game other than Donovan Mitchell. Not easy to do. That tells you when it's crunch time, when you're, When the game is online you have to win a game and you want a guy to step up big, this guy
1: can do it. How valuable is that experience for Evan Mobley, Mike, and and being around a guy like that, watching team success, watching a guy lead like that, as opposed to maybe not having a guy like Mitchell here and being force-fed and said, okay, hey, we need need 22-23 game out of you. Can his development be enhanced by by having a guy like Mitchell here and watching that success, watching the way he handles it? Because Evan's still so, so young and, and has such an NBA career ahead of him. I thought there were games in the last week or
0: so where Evan stepped up his game, where he did more. He was more assertive. I don't want to use the word aggressive, but more assertive. It looked like he got the message that we need you to do a little bit more. We need you to be a little more productive because of whatever the reasons might be. And so much of that, Jeff, comes down to the assistant coaches where you have assistant coaches assigned to certain players and their job is to get the message across because the player might have a special relationship with one assistant over another assistant. And the head coach sees that and is smart enough to say, You are in charge of Mobley, and you are the one who's going to communicate our messages to Mobley because he trusts you, he believes in you, and you do a good job with him. So, that assistant coach's job is to work with him before practice, after practice, whatever they have those types of situations, and to convince Evan Mobley why you're a terrific player in this league and how you've become that much better. Just by doing these certain things. You go into a game and you hey, tonight, you're up against a tough hombre tonight. This guy's going to hit you. He's going to hold you. He's going to try and frustrate you. You can't lose your cool. You have to understand that's who this guy is. That's what he's all about. That's how he's lasted in the league 10 or 12 years. You play your game. You keep your concentration. Don't let him get you out of whack because that's what he's trying to do. And those types of things, those relationships between assistant coaches and players are so important to the development and progress of
1: individuals. This is Basketball Gold with Fratello and Phelps. He's Mike Fratello. I'm Jeff Phelps. It's the holiday week, Mike. NBA teams are busy, and some NBA teams are going to be playing on Christmas Day. And it's become you know, the NBA's day. Except for this year, because Christmas falls on Sunday, the NFL is going to have some games. Most of their games are on Christmas Eve, but they have some games on Sunday as well. So you're going to have football all day. You're going to have basketball all day. But this year's kind of an aberration, just the way Christmas fell. But the NBA has taken Christmas and turned it into a big, a big day, a big deal, Mike. And though nobody wants to work on Christmas Day, it's kind of become like the coming out party for the NBA. Even at this point of the season, it's like we are in every home, everybody watching, and it's become really something that I think the league has really embraced. And Mike has really worked for them as well. Well, let me ask you, if you
0: were coaching a team, would you take that as a compliment yep. that that the league asked you, your team, to play on Christmas Day? Or would you would, or would you take it that? Oh man, I can't be. I have to be on. I have to be playing today. How do you approach it? How do you sell your team going into the locker room a week ahead of time, or whenever you discuss the schedule? You know, do you say to them, "Hey, gang, they picked us as one of the teams to play on Christmas Day, when the entire United States, such a huge percentage of them, are going to be watching us play." as they have their christmas day meals enjoying their family people coming home from college to get back home and reunite with their families we're the ones they put on tv yep or you're going to approach it and say oh, God, you know we gotta play this game <laughs> oh, that's us hurry up and get this thing over with and get out of there you know, you've got to approach it the right
1: way so that the team goes into the
0: game the right way
1: you know even if you're not playing on christmas day mike if you're not playing, you're probably flying on Christmas Day or getting ready for a game the next day because almost every team in the league either plays Christmas Day or or plays the day after. So it's part of the job, right? You're making a lot of money to play and coach in the NBA. It's part of the gig. Comes with it. But I, I think it's been something that the NBA has just wrapped its head around, embraced, and, and has worked. So I give a lot of credit for that. That's well, cool. how many players when the schedule first comes out? They're looking. If,
0: if they were honest, yeah, how many of them would say, Uh, and it could be because of family, yeah. They go, Oh, I have to play on Halloween. Well, you can't walk the streets with your children and go <laughs> trick-or-treating, okay? How many would say, Oh, I have to play on Christmas Day? Yeah. Oh, I have to play on New Year's Eve, oh, we have Martin Luther King Day. Uh, I have to play on Valentine's Day. I can't bring candy home to my sweetheart. No, dinner. They're looking right away to see where are we on these
1: important days. And then they handle it accordingly. We were chatting earlier today. And the the topic of your high school came up. And you've been in contact with your high school. And I thought this was really cool. You said that they're going to do a huge improvement on their field house. Explain a little bit of this, because it went somewhere. I've done some research on this. It's stunning. It's a stunning development, Mike. But what's happening at Hackensack High School? Well, first of all, what happened is that Santa dropped off a package
0: a little bit early. And the package, when I opened it up, had a Hackensack High School sweatshirt in there. Wow. Very nice. A Hackensack Comet sweatshirt which when i did research by reading the labels on it i found out that you were kind enough to send that to me so thank you number one merry christmas then when i got the phone call last night and they said the board of education had passed in the meeting last night uh, had passed a 1.7 million dollar renovation on the field house this field house I don't know, Maybe it's been there 60, 70, 80 years, this wow. fieldhouse, where all the football teams, you know, that's where you got dressed for practice every day. That's where you got dressed for the games on Saturday. And that's where you went out and played on the field outside of it. And they passed a uh, a vote that will give them 1.7 to do this place over again. You know, we never had a room where you went in and the doctors or trainers or whatever could tape you. They found like a closet that they put a table in and you get your ankles taped in, the, in that closet or whatever. So when I heard the news about it, I was I was very excited, very happy that uh, the Board of Education did that, except when I got to the end of the conversation with the person and they said. But. There are no showers. And I said, what do you mean there's no showers? And they said, in this renovation, they're not putting showers in. They're taking the old showers out to make room, to make space, for more lockers, whatever they're doing, but no showers. I said, how can you do that? How can you practice and not shower before you go home? How can you play a game and not shower before you go home? Doesn't the health department get involved in that? And I was told that, don't you understand that most of the youngsters today, when they get done playing, they put their sweatsuits on, they go home and take a shower. Well, I don't know if that's true or not. Well, so I'm going to turn to you now for your research. What did you find out?
1: Well, I I have three kids, two of whom are, well, two are in college now. Both played high school sports recently. One just graduated from college, played high school sports. I checked with all three of them, and I said, did you guys ever take a shower after a practice or a game? Mike, the answer was unanimous, and it was no. And I thought, all right, well, maybe that's something, maybe my kids are weird, because I'm with you. You know, If, if you were playing, now, I played high school baseball. I don't recall us taking showers after that, unless it was really hot or something, I don't know. But I I don't recall that. But, you know, we're not like in a gym playing basketball or out in the field playing football. So I contacted a buddy of mine who is an assistant basketball coach at a high school now and has worked in high school sports uh, for like the last five or six years. And I said, all right, strangest question I'm ever going to ask you. I said, Coach and I are doing a podcast later. Do your kids shower after practice, after games, any sport? He said no. They do not. So wow, wow. I cannot I, I know, believe that. I, I can't either. We apparently need to get with the times. Kids go home sweaty and stinky rather than us guys you coached. Hey, you get cleaned up, you go, you know, you took care of business, you get cleaned up, you go home. Apparently not in this day and age, Mike. So that means you're eliminating going out on a date
0: with your oh, sweetheart right after happening. you get done because. I Not mean, happening. You haven't had a chance to clean up, put a little cologne on, and then go out and get something to eat. Not happening. Oh my goodness. So I should be acceptant of the Board of Education's vote that the 1.7 million re- renovation
1: is going for everything else other than showers. Oh, apparently so. Maybe if they had a, a successful, you know, alum who's really gone on and done phenomenal things since he was a, what, an offensive lineman at Hackensack High School and played a little basketball as well, played baseball. You know, maybe they could put in the Fratello shower suite or something. Well, (laughs) let me
0: tell you this. That alum was on the phone this morning and (laughs) was getting ready to start the campaign for all other former players there to send some checks in if the Board of Education would accept them because –
1: I don't know. I was, I wasn't ready to accept that one. You know what though? I mean, think about it. Even if they don't take showers in this day and age after, you know, I, I can't imagine after a basketball practice, after a basketball game, not doing that. Cause you know, everybody gets all hot and sweaty, but wouldn't you put them in anyway? Because at some point you're going to need showers in a field house. Aren't you at some point? I would think so. I would
0: think so. Look, I think about think about in the playground, and you're yeah. playing pickup basketball games. When you get done with the pickup basketball games, you don't have a shower outside. You, there you go, take it, you go home. Oh, you walk home. You're sweaty. You're wet. You yeah. put your sweatshirt on or whatever, and you go back to the house and you shower or take a bath or whatever it was at night. <laughs> but I just, I just can't see playing a high school football game. Well no. going through a high school practice. Wait a minute. Practice? Oh yeah. They used to actually practice before you had games. And then you don't shower after it? I don't know. We have to catch up with the times, Jeff.
1: Yeah, it makes no sense at all to me. Uh holidays are here. Showers aren't. They're apparently, you know, optional. But if if you're a Cleveland Cavalier basketball fan, Have you already had your holiday gift? You got Donovan Mitchell. You're sitting in third place right now. You're only two games out. What more can you hope for right now, Mike? What do you think? Well, the message that you send to a team is
0: the NBA is a league of getting selfish. When you start to taste success, you have to love the taste of success. And you have to understand at some point how hard it really is to be successful. So if you like where you are right now, it's going to get harder the rest of the way because everybody's gunning for you. You're the target. But if you really like it and you like the notoriety that you're receiving and after 30, 31, 32 games, you're kind of saying like, wow, everybody's Mm -hmm. kind of taking notice of us now. That's right. But that makes it that much harder. So you have to get selfish You have to want to win the next game and the next game and the next game. And this is about the point, Jeff, where separation takes place. Separation between all the teams that are mediocre in the middle, that 500 level, or where you separate yourself and go six games, seven games, eight games above everyone else that's at the 500 mark. Right around now is where it starts to happen. So if you're selfish and you understand it's a good selfishness, it's not a selfishness in the game of not making a pass. It's not a selfishness of taking too many shots. It's not a selfishness of not making a rotation defensively. It's a selfishness of playing harder, playing better, playing together so they can get the next win, which helps
1: get that separation. On that note, happy holidays. You already have your outfit for it that's fabulous enjoy the holidays and we'll talk to everybody afterwards well done sir that that hood is you the hoodie is me that <laughs> is me with the ear ear set on okay ear that's bones. perfect absolutely perfect this is basketball gold with fratello and phelps happy holidays everybody
0: merry christmas happy new year have a great holiday